From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox president Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF. The COP28 climate summit ended in Dubai, and there actually was a landmark deal to come out of that. It commits the world to transition away from fossil fuels. 28 meetings, and that's the first time that we've had that actually enshrined in writing. It calls for more countries to make the shift in a just and orderly fashion and to triple the amount of renewable energy like wind and solar power installed around the world by 20. 30. Ali Zaidi is a national climate advisor over at the White House. He's just uh, fresh off the plane from uh, Dubai. And I do want to start off here just to get, to get an assessment of whether you thought it was a success. You know, this is a significant step forward. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of work to do. That was a big part of the stock take in Dubai. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a big gap relative to our collective ambitions. But we took a step forward in naming the challenges that we face in terms of our reliance on fossil fuels mm-hmm. and then setting these really ambitious targets on renewable energy um, at home. We're working to expand our capacity to produce the products that allow us to hit these goals. I- I do wonder about the commitment to this, though. It's one thing to put it in writing, and there'll be certain countries, maybe like the U.S., that will move forward in this. Do you have confidence, though, that the other members who signed on to this will follow through? Look, accountability is a central part of this, Mm -hmm. and the whole Paris mechanism, um, the meeting in Dubai really follows on eight years since the Paris Climate Agreement Mm -hmm. was achieved. The whole Paris mechanism relies on transparency and accountability from peers and from civil society. So we've got to bring that accountability. But if you look at the scoreboard, the International Energy Agency says we are increasing our deployment of clean energy technologies. Mm -hmm. That's reducing demand fossils. So we'll see that demand peak. And I think this gives additional momentum to that trajectory. Well, let's talk a little bit more specifically about the U.S. and accountability, because uh, as I'm sure you're aware, U.S. production of oil, of fossil fuels has been surging. So if you have the U.S. opening new oil and gas fields, does that betray the pledge in any way? I think what we've got to focus on is our targets as we look forward, right? 2030, cut our emissions by 50 to 52%, put ourselves on a trajectory no later than 2050 to get to net zero. And that's got to allow us to to meet those goals. We've got to move on a bunch of different parallel tracks. The first, to your point, is we've got to make sure that we're meeting near-term demand. And that's where you know, we've got to accept the reality of the stock we have, whether it's in buildings, transportation, or the power sector, but we're rapidly turning that stock over to clean energy, whether it's electric vehicles, or it's clean heat in buildings, or it's solar and wind. So that's how we wean ourselves off of fossil fuels. I think we're doing that in a robust fashion under the president's leadership. 
Well, let's talk, too, about hydrogen here. Of course, we're waiting for Treasury Department guidance for claiming hydrogen production tax credits. Those rules, I believe, uh, we're expecting them next week. They've been the subject of a lot of lobbying and a lot of pushback uh, from the likes of Senator Joe Manchin. What is the guiding mission statement of those uh, tax credits, and how is the administration thinking about some of that pushback? So our guiding light in setting the rules to implement the Inflation Reduction Act, the biggest investment in climate in the history of the world, is to boost our energy security, to spur U.S. manufacturing, to cut costs for consumers, and to create the certainty that allows for accelerated capital formation and project development. Today, we issued rules on the manufacturing tax credit, 45X. Um, I think that will accelerate things like the manufacture of solar, of wind turbines, et cetera. Um, I think with hydrogen, the goal is the same. How do we not only um, deploy the uh, availability of clean hydrogen, but really reposition the U.S. to lead on the core technology, the electrolyzers, make them here at places like Cummins in Minnesota, and seize the advantage going into decades that will be defined by this race to supply the world. Well, what do you make of uh, what's been going on with regards to the adoption of electric vehicle, or really just uh, non-gasoline-powered uh, uh, vehicles here? We had kind of this big surge for a while in EV adoption, and that really has slowed for a variety of reasons. But I am curious as to whether you think that some of those loftier goals that people had for production and sales targets of EVs and hybrids, et cetera, whether that can still be met. I think we're still surging. Um, if you look at where we were in 2021 when the president came into office, we've doubled the number of charging stations that line our roads and highways, and we're on a trajectory to get 500,000 uh, installed. We've doubled the number of models that are available. By the end of next year, we'll have doubled it again to almost 100. Right. Um, we've got. 10 million EVs worth of battery factories that are going to be in production by right. 2030. So, you know, if you just look but last that, month... But is that a build it and they will come? Because right now people aren't coming. I mean, the prices for a lot of these vehicles are still high. And as you know, there's still a lot of range anxiety. And if you don't live in, say, a, a, a single-family home where you can sell a charger, there's still a lot of people wringing their hands about, if I live in an apartment, can I really uh, have an EV? Yeah, look, we had a period uh, in the last couple of years because of supply chain issues globally mm. that lithium-ion prices actually flatlined, maybe increased a little bit. This year, we're seeing them come back down again. Bloomberg. Uh, has done analysis that says that the cost curves will align in just a matter of a couple of years. Mm. If you think that's bullish, maybe it's a few years out beyond that. But you pair that with the incredible momentum, uh, I think, that is being spurred by the OEMs. What we're seeing with workers really be part of that transition, the success of the UAW, yeah. and then incentives at the state level on top of the Biden tax credit for EVs. Um, I think we're on a secular and very clear trajectory in terms of the deployment of this technology in the U.S. and leading the world on it. All right, Ali, really appreciate you uh, taking time Thank for you. us. That's Ali Zaidi. He's the White House's National Climate Advisor, a discussion here about some of those climate goals, not only here in the U.S., but abroad as well. From Silicon Valley to Wall Street, the promise and perils of artificial intelligence are playing out on the world stage. But what will the next phase of AI adoption look like? Which companies from big tech to startups will dominate? And where do the risks and unintended consequences lie? I'm Emily Chang. 
Join me at Bloomberg Tech in San Francisco, May 9th, to answer many of the industry's burning questions. Alongside SNAP's Evan Spiegel, Xbox President Sarah Bond, OpenAI's Brad Lightcap, top researcher Dr. Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at Bloomberg.com slash TechSF.